What's up, Jets fans, and welcome to episode 13 of Jet Nation Live. We are your hosts, Dylan Terman and Glenn Naughton. Coming off a gigantic win, albeit against a backup in a weird circumstance for the Chicago Bears, the Jets pulled off a victory in the downpour at MetLife Stadium, 31-10. to Glenn, I know it's not um, a win that people can glorify because it was against a lesser defense in a, in a situation with a backup quarterback, but how are we doing coming off one of the, the Jets' biggest wins of the season? Well, listen, it's, you know, it's a big win in the sense that the, the Jets did exactly what we thought they would do. Um, I think I said 27-10. I think that was the final I predicted. Yep. Um, and I think I saw a few people in that ball. Like everybody viewed this as like a couple couple score game. And it turned out to be that, you know, there was some concerns, I think, when Chicago went down the field and scored right away. Because um, that was kind of, you, you thought, well, they'll be lucky to score a touchdown. So when they scored one early, you know, it, but I, I think I, I even messaged you. I said, they're going to settle down and win this game. Like I'm you not, did. there was some people like, oh, what's happening? We're and it, there is that, that thought creeps in. Like you're letting a bad team hang around. And when you let them hang around, that's how you choke and, you know, but I, I felt like they would win that game. Most important thing, obviously, was Mike White. Great performance. Um, you know, quick, decisive. Ball came out. Ball was on target. And he looked way better than any anyone, you know. Well, not anyone, but way better than a lot of people thought he would. Yeah, exactly. Mike White, a battle of backup quarterbacks, essentially. It's kind of insane. You look at the schedule when it first comes out and you see – Justin Fields, Zach Wilson down the stretch, and then Zach Wilson versus Trevor Lawrence down the stretch for what could be a meaningful game if all goes right. And that's not the case. That's not what we got at all. We got Trevor Simeon versus Mike White. And like we talked about last week, we weren't exactly sure what we were going to get from Mike White, but we could anticipate a baseline of a couple touchdowns and at least 200-something yards. I projected in the range of 230. And quite frankly, he blew that out. He got that at halftime. He uh, – he went crazy. He started out on the first drive, six of seven for 69 yards and a touchdown. Ended the first half, 16 of 20, 235 and two touchdowns. And the touchdowns were really nice. Obviously, they were both uh, the Garrett Wilson touchdowns in the first half. Obviously, the mm -hmm. injury happened on the second one. But he ended the day with 315 yards, three touchdowns. So exactly the opposite of what we had seen from the quarterback position so far. Um, I noticed a lot of play action specifically in his um, in in the play in the game plan. Excuse me, forty percent or roughly of his dropbacks were with play action, which I thought was a big difference from Zach Wilson. I feel like Zach Wilson was doing the RPO things, but not so much play action. So the the pure play action game under center from Mike White was different. Um, the layered throws, I think, was my first. Um, big point out of the of the ball game he had a couple risky ones there was the interception or almost interception on the first play when the Jets were down a couple uh, down 10 to 7 to Garrett Wilson he threw the pass that was almost intercepted and I was a little nervous because that's Mike White's game he's going to throw the the riskier passes but he's going to yep. exactly but like you said offline or just before we went online you have to have a quarterback that isn't afraid to throw interceptions so Seemed like he settled down after that, ended with 315. Um, he did say in his post game, and then I'll throw it to you with this question. He did say in his post game that he was listening to the fans chanting Mike White um, at certain moments of the game. 
And then he did put the caveat of when they were on offense, he would like them to not do it. So first and foremost, I do want to tell anybody going to MetLife, if they are going to cheer, just do it when the Jets are on defense, because it's very hard when the Jets, you know, when they're trying to establish a drive, you got to, you know, hear the play count. Everybody's got to be in sync. So you got to be quiet on offense and, and let Mike White cook. So I just want to throw it to you from Mike White exclusively before we get into anything else in this game, because there was a ton of positives. Mike White alone, what was your your thoughts? And uh, just basically, do you think this is sustainable for him? I don't I mean, I don't see why not. You know, you look at even when he played poorly. Now, do I think zero interceptions every week? No, that's not sustainable. Right. He's going to throw picks. Um, I'm pretty sure I talked about it in the uh, in the post game, but I know um, it was a topic of conversation on the uh, the forums on JetNation.com, and I I, I I started a thread in there, and other people had commented, basically saying that this defense is good enough that you can afford a couple of picks as long as you're scoring touchdowns. Um, you know, and look, it's it's not the greatest show on turf, but you know, former Rams head coach Mike Martz, I remember when when the Rams had that offense. He almost didn't care about turnovers. He was like, we're scoring five, six touchdowns either way. If we throw three or four picks, that's fine too, because we're going to score 35, 45. Mm -hmm. um, now, the Jets aren't quite at that level with Mike White, but I think they're at a, a, a point in time with Mike White where they're like, if he's going to throw a couple touchdowns and we're going to run one or two in, um, we can live with a couple of picks. And you can with this with the way this defense plays. So I think it's sustainable. I think it's far more sustainable than – what was happening with Zach Wilson, which is, you know, winning games with no touchdowns and 150 yards passing. Um, that wasn't going to, that's not going to sustain itself. Um, finding the end zone three or four times with a couple of picks with this defense, that's, it, it's sustainable. It's a matter of, can he do it against a more quality opponent? And we're going to find that in the coming weeks. It, I mean, listen, the Jets got lucky in the sense that this, this bear secondary was banged up. Let's not lie to ourselves about it. But right. at the same time, some of those throws from Mike White, they were, you know, I think the first or second throw, the one to Garrett Wilson, that was a tight, tight window. Like it doesn't get any, any tighter. And, and he zipped it right in there. So it's not as if all these plays that the Jets, you know, were, were receivers were running in the clear with no DBs to worry about. These Some of these throws had to be on target, and they were. He had the beautiful throw to Elijah Moore on the 42-yard gain over the middle. Um, he made some really nice throws in this game. And that, you know, I, I get when people talk about the quality of opponent. But I don't think that that doesn't hold a lot of water with me if the throw is put in a spot where there is still a defender there to make a play, but you're completing the pass. I mean, there's just still, you know, it's it's uh, Patrick Peterson, the, you know, the old days, Deion Sanders. They're not the only guys in the league who can bat a pass away. You know, right. just because just because the defender is an elite doesn't mean he's not a threat to the ball if he's standing, you know, within arm's length of the receiver. And we saw a lot of that with Mike White against the Bears. And we saw them making these plays. So the, it was it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch so many guys get involved. And as someone just commented to us, the receivers were on high alert knowing anyone could get the ball. That I, I made that point, I think. I can't remember if I did that in, in the postgame write-up or the, the video or whatever. But I, I, I said to somebody, I said, when, when you have 10 guys get a catch, everyone everyone on offense is thinking, this, this could be my ball. This could be me right here. Yep. So, I mean, th these guys are human beings. Right. Like you want to believe in your heart of hearts that every single guy is going to give 100 percent on every snap. You want to believe that. But when you're a guy like Elijah Moore, as, and I dogged him as much as anyone. But if you're going to run 30 routes a week and not see a target, 
at some point, those routes are going to get a little bit lazier, a little bit. Maybe I'm not going to be as sharp on this one because it doesn't matter because they don't even look my way. For sure. Well, now, every even if it's only a couple balls, you get a couple balls a game, you don't know when they're coming, everyone's going to be on their toes and that everybody gets involved. And I think that's why, you know, we saw kind of saw the, the the players rally around Mike White because, they you know, he's a popular guy in that locker room. And for years, you know, I've, how many times have I watched the game where an opposing quarterback, you know, they throw up a graphic three drives into the game, you know, has completed 14 balls to 12 different receivers. You know, and then the Jets, just, you know, you're lucky if four guys get a catch. Right. Yeah. And to that point, Mike White did complete passes to 10 different receivers on Sunday. You mentioned it. Elijah Moore got involved in the ball game, two catches for 64 yards and the touchdown. Obviously, the beautiful 42 yard pass and then the yards after catch, which is kind of his calling card. We've seen this before with Joe Flacco on the slant pass. I believe it was against the Miami. Dolphins. Yes, yep. exactly. So we've seen that before. And then the touchdown pass, uh, Mike White said he loved uh, that Elijah Moore was able to feel the soft spot on the outbreaking route and just get open. And that was something that Joe Flacco also mentioned about Elijah Moore. And that's the coaches kind of reiterate the same thing. He He's that old, old dog mentality, that old soul that Rob Saul <laughs> keeps calling him like, He's a veteran in, in, a, in a sense with his route running. He knows what to do with the ball in, or in space, excuse me, to get the ball. So Mike White was able to find him. Garrett Wilson, five catches, 95 yards and two touchdowns. He brings back the Pepsi Zero Sugar Rookie of the Week for the eighth time. It comes back to Florham Park. It That's might as well ridiculous. just stay there at this point. So Mike White, yeah, you mentioned a couple of his passes. Um, the first one to uh, Garrett Wilson in the tight window on the slant route. Uh, the first Garrett Wilson touchdown, I know there was holding at the top of the route by Kendall Vildor, but the route running by Garrett Wilson to fake inside, then go out wide open for the touchdown. Then I wanted to mention another big play, and this was the one that set up the second Garrett Wilson touchdown. The play before that, it was a third and two, and it was a check down to Ty Johnson. They motioned Braxton Berrios out of the backfield, which is something they did quite a bit in this game, which I thought was a nice new wrinkle for their personnel, especially with Michael Carter out. Braxton Berrios coming out of the backfield, motioning to the right. Um, that was his man indicator. He had a nice sell on the play action. He got two inside linebackers to bite. Um, Ty Johnson just kind of snuck out in the flat, but Mike White at the top of his drop, Nate Herbig got beat on an interior pressure. And Mike White was able to just kind of dip his shoulder with the ball and step up a half step into the pocket where another defender was crashing down on him. He took the hit, which is something we said Zach has not been willing to do, or at least putting on tape that he's willing to do in the past month. So he stepped up into the hit, delivered it directly to where Ty Johnson needed to on his outside shoulder. He cut up the field for 16 yards. Next play was the Garrett Wilson touchdown. So Mike White, he was doing all the easy things like Rob Sala said, but I also think he was doing the hard things that Zach Wilson couldn't, wouldn't, shouldn't, whatever isn't doing. And I feel like that was fully on display. All the reasons why Mike White deserves this job and he's clearly earned it. I know Rob Sala mentioned that he, in the Giants preseason game, that's when things started to click for him. He had a very slow training camp, Rob Sala said, but the Giants preseason game, he started coming on. That's when his confidence came back. So, <clears throat> so excuse me for Mike White to grind from QB three to the backup spot. I know it didn't really, you know, take the backup spot as much as they they you know 
I guess that he did take it from Joe Flacco. And now he was given the QB one spot because Zach Wilson struggles. And I don't think he's mm-hmm. going to relinquish these QB one uh, opportunities. I know we mentioned it last week. This could be the end of Zach for the season if the playoff stretch goes. So how do you feel about that? Is Zach Wilson kind of on the edge of losing his job before we get into another couple battles that, that might be on the line? Absolutely. I mean, I don't I don't see how anyone can see it any other way, you know, unless Mike White just has sort of epic collapse and has a couple of back to back three or four interception games um, without putting points on the board. But as long as the offense is moving the chains and, you know, I, I said this before we came on the air, I said it last week on the show. <clears throat> um, like, I, I don't see how anyone can look at the way Zach Wilson was playing and think that he's a better option than Mike White in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And as I tweeted out during the game, and then Robert Sala said, I, th- I, th- I think I tweeted out after, it was only after a couple drives, but I said, I said the two biggest things jumping out at me right now are the quickness with which the ball is coming out, which I'd said pregame, that was the one thing I was hoping to see was, was uh, you know, read the defense and get the ball out. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was that Mike White was hitting the swings and the screens and the short stuff, and Robert Sala said after the game he makes easy stuff look easy and that to me was i mean that's a pretty big swipe at zach wilson whether people want to admit it or realize it like you just said like basically thank god i got a guy who can hit a screen pass because i didn't have that before so i think that mike white as long as he keeps taking what the defense gives him you know these are all cliches but you know i always say cliches exist for a reason right there's a lot of truth behind them you know oh everyone says that yeah because it's true um, so as long as he keeps taking what the defense gives him and this defense is playing at a high level, then I think, you know, <clears throat> I don't see any way I don't see any benefit to putting Zach Wilson back on the field. I don't you know, I, I think I said this last week because um, it was kind of reiterated today. Uh, Dan Orlovsky um, was on uh, the Michael K show and they and they kind of they went back to the point they were making, which was the season is going on now. Like, when do people think Zach Wilson is going to get his footwork coached up. Like, you're preparing for the next team. You can't, you know, you, you, fine, he can work with flight school after practice for a little bit. Great. But the emphasis from the, the, the coaches is going to be on winning this week's game, and that's going to be the case every week. Um, and I can't see a miraculous turnaround from Zach. And you said it. I said it last week. <clears throat> you know, when, when I said that, I think my biggest concern with Zach is that he looks scared. He, mm-hmm. you know, balance. What? I I don't know if it was the throw you're talking about, but the first time last Sunday when I saw Mike White step up and complete a pass, I just I didn't even say anything. I just looked at it and went, "There it is!" Like it that we haven't had that all year. Yep. Take the pass. Let you know. Let let the tackles clear the outsides for you. And if there's somebody coming up the middle, keep your eyes down the field. Step up and deliver and take the hit. And Zach Wilson, up to this point, for whatever reason, um, hasn't been willing to do that. And you cannot be a successful NFL quarterback if your game plan is, I'm going to go out there and not let anyone hit me today. You're going to have to get hit. And so yep. I think Zach, Zach Wilson is definitely done for this year, barring injury uh, to uh, the other guys ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Now, look, if the Jets get knocked out of the playoff hunt and you know it's the final week of the season, maybe you roll them out there for one game. Um, but as long as they're in this thing and the other quarterbacks are healthy, I think he's done. And then you see what the offseason brings. 
Yeah, and for anybody confused when Glenn referenced flight school for Zach Wilson, I believe it was Sala who mentioned it a couple weeks back. It's basically the third string and the practice squad players who don't get a ton of reps at practice because obviously they're dominated by the starters and second string. It's just them getting a seven-on-seven pass camp off to the side during uh, after practice, during practice. So Zach Wilson working with them. I think it was Dan Leberfeld put out a video of him working with Rob Calabrese doing a footwork drill and everybody, you know, was filling the comments with all their narratives and whatnot. And, and I think you're spot on right there that Zach Wilson's job is probably no longer, at least for this season. Um, Mike White has no reason to give it back. Obviously he could completely implode, but I don't foresee that happening. I think compared to last year, even when he was struggling um, this year, he just looked at a total, like a completely different player, obviously another year in the system helps. So, I mentioned it earlier with the layered throws. I feel like he was just getting that out on the bootlegs and just throwing the passes as soon as they needed to be thrown. It wasn't a, oh, let me wait an extra second and try to create or see if I can throw it downfield into like a, a, a double coverage that I think I can fit it into. So he really wasn't doing anything fancy. And I think that that's the reason why Mike F and White became Mike Efficiency White, according to the Jets Twitter. And that's exactly what it was. I believe it was 22 of 28 for 315. So. He just absolutely balled, and I don't think there's a reason for him to have any, like, you know, stresses of the rearview mirror of Zach Wilson impressing anybody with his footwork in practice to take his job back as quarterback yeah. one. Because as long as we keep winning games or are in competitive in these ball games, even if they lose, Mike White has no reason to, to give up the spot. So another job who's potentially on the line, and that is the running back, the guy right behind Mike White. James Robinson did not dress for the game. Right. I am under the personal belief that it is his knee. He was not a healthy scratch. I know that's what the media said. He was a healthy scratch, but I believe his knee has been bothering him since he arrived, since he was playing. He came back from that Achilles injury way too soon. Not saying he he rushed back and shouldn't <laughs> be playing, but if he was medically cleared, he was barely medically cleared to return to football practice and, and playing speed. So he had to get his knee drained a couple weeks ago to even play in the game. And, he wasn't very effective against the Patriots. So I understand why they chose to set, sit him, but I wouldn't say it's a healthy scratch. I think it's his knee. Anyway, Zonovan Knight, the UDFA from NC State, did come up and make a big day. Uh, obviously, Michael Carter's injury helps with that, and he became yep. the bell cow in the second half. But he ended the day, I had it right here, 14 carries, 69 yards, and he added three catches for 34 yards in the past game. So a total of 103 yards, I believe, is the most for a rookie Jets from rookie scrimmage. Um, so he just absolutely lit it up. Ty Johnson even lit it up, five for 62 and a touchdown. Um, Michael Carter, before injury, had six for 21. And my my first note when I was watching the game, I just wrote the New York Niners. Um as a, a couple of years back, the, the 49ers became that team, and especially from a fantasy perspective, that you just couldn't trust any running back. And any given week was going to be that person's day to produce. I, they had Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert. Now these guys are in Miami. But it was always a, a trio or even a foursome of guys. Elijah Mitchell was in there too. So guys that you, you never knew who was going to get the ball. And I feel like that's kind of where the Jets are, especially with the Brees Hall injury, now that they're just kind of throwing these guys at the wall and seeing what sticks. and. Zonovan Knight worked. However, James Robinson was a little peeved about not playing. He said he was, quote, upset, and he said he did not come here to not play. Um, Salah said it's not the end of him by any means. He also said that about Zach for what it's worth. 
So your your reaction to hearing that, especially an, coming off another win, having another disgruntled player. Well, listen, I um I, I have to disagree with you, Dylan. Even though I I said it during the game and then I said it again after the game, those comments from me tell me it's not his knee. Because <laughs> I mean, if it, if he was hurt, That's I true. think he'd kind of be in agreement and like a wink, wink, like, hey man, we're gonna say it's a healthy scratch, but we're gonna rest his knee a little longer. That's a good point. I don't think you then come out and go, this is this is bull. I should I should be playing. Like, dude, what are you doing? We said he hurts. What do you come on? So I I I agreed with you up until I heard that quote. And then I'm right. like, oh, maybe it's not, maybe, maybe it's not a healthy scratch, or maybe it is a healthy scratch. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, the one thing about him that the interesting comment from Robert Sala after the game saying he's leaving meat, you know, he's left some meat on the bone. Um, it's interesting because if you see when I tweeted out after the trade, I went and I watched a couple of his games. Um, and he, while he looked decisive when he sort of made his decision, he he didn't hesitate. But he was. I did notice it. It was a lot of a lot of cutback, a lot of juking, a lot of mm-hmm. sort of. It wasn't the take the ball, hit the hole. You know, there was some you know, more of an elusive back. Um, you you know, busy feet in the backfield, which doesn't work with every scheme. So I, I, I watched a couple of games. I saw it work well with Jacksonville, and I sent out. I think it was a, a short touchdown run where again he showed good feet. He got out, got to the outside. He hit the hole quickly. But I thought to myself as I was literally as I was typing that, I'm like, oh. Is that the kind of back this offense needs, though? But I understood you're limited. You don't have, like, 50 backs to choose from at that time of mm-hmm. year. So I understood the move in getting him. But I did question in the back of my mind, like, you know, not not saying <clears> – <throat> excuse me, not saying I didn't think he would fit. Um, but I did wonder, like, is he going to be a fit here? Um, and, he, you know, he, he looked all right. You know, he, the uh, a few weeks ago when he did play and he played well – he, he did look decisive up the middle. There wasn't a lot of right. yep. dancing around the backfield, but, the, you know, maybe there may have been some other runs where the Jets felt like he could have gotten more. And listen, that's, you, you never want a guy to say, yeah, I'm glad I'm not playing. I'm glad I sat this week. You know, you mm-hmm. want everyone to be mad. You want everyone, you know, there, there's a way to, there, there's like mad you're not playing. And then there's, you know, you know, the Elijah Moore thing, like demanding a trade. That's like a, that's like a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not mad at the guy. I, you want him to want to play, but I think, I think Bam Knight, um, who's another guy, I, th- I thought um, I thought he was going to be a, a day three draft pick. I didn't think he would go undrafted. I think his ability to return kicks is what, in my mind, I looked at him and thought, yes, he's a good back. He can block. He can catch the ball to the backfield. And as a returner, I think that gets him drafted on day three. Um, he didn't get drafted, but I, I had tweeted out, like, this is a guy, if the Jets are looking to add a back, maybe they should get this guy on day three. And I think that the catch I, I showed in the tweet was, you know, a ball over the middle was thrown behind him. He kind of made this spinning catch and held on and went upfield and got a big gain. So he's 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 a guy who moves well. You know, he's not not super speedy, but he's a guy who can do a little bit of everything. I mean, he runs hard. I don't know if you caught the um one of the runs he had on Sunday where he got spun around by the defense, and then you can see him kind of yeah. throw himself backward into yep. the defense. Like even though he was wrapped up, he's like, if I can, you know, launch myself backward and get another yard or two, exactly, yeah. And that, like, that's one of those runs you look at a guy and go, oh, okay, that's his, like, he, that he's no, you know, he's not a joke. Like, this guy, he means it when he, you know, running with authority and all that. So, really like the way he played. Um, You know, like I said, liked him as a draft prospect. I thought he was around six or seven guy. Um, Glad they held on to him. And, and it, it could be. And I even, even as someone who said the Jets should draft him, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to take the Jets' word on this. And if they're trading for somebody, that tells me they don't think Bam Knight's there yet. Right. Um, but now you watch him play and it's like, oh, he's there. Like, and, you know, there are people saying, why yeah. did you make this trade? 
which I kind of get, even though I was someone saying, you know, yes, make a trade. Bam's not ready if they're not if they're not playing him yet. Um, but it looks like he might be. And look, worst case scenario, you have a you have four really good backs going into next year. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, you said it right there. I'll, I'll piggyback off that. Going into next year, I think he's somebody that is certainly deserving of a look. I know it's a small sample size of just one game, but when you look at the running backs that we have going into next year, I don't believe Ty Johnson is on under contract. Uh, obviously, you have Michael Carter, Brees Hall, um, Ty Johnson, and then James Robinson probably going to go, if not one, if not two. So Donovan Knight's probably going to be your running back three next year at the worst. And I think even though, yeah, it's a small sample size, but you said it, he was willing to take on contact. He was aggressively running in the fourth quarter, even when the Bears defense was tired. He wasn't. He was just going. And I heard somebody say that he was also playing special teams reps and just running on kickoffs. So even though he was the starting running back in the second half to be on special teams and then to come out and play offense as well, like that says a lot. So he obviously took full advantage of his opportunity. I don't think that, you know, like Mike White, he should have to give it up anytime soon. Now I'm not saying James Robinson should be a healthy scratch every week. I think they have to find a way to make this four-headed monster work. Obviously you can't carry four running backs, three tight ends, and however many wide receivers into the game. So maybe they even trimmed down with more wide receivers. I don't know. And we talked about it in the beginning of the year, they were winning with the run game and the defense. So who's to say Jeff Smith and Denzel Mims aren't healthy scratches and they suit up four running backs. Right. I'm not saying that that's exactly what they're going to do, but any given week when they want to run the football, I think that could be an op- or, uh, an absolute option for them. And I think Mike LaFleur, I mentioned it with the personnel, you know, wrinkles he did this week. That's certainly something he could take advantage of because all four of them prove that they can be pass game efficient as well. So the running backs, as a whole, I mean, Ty Johnson's angry touchdown run, that was something else. I hope he wins uh, that that award from Good Morning Football. Kyle Brandt gives out the Angry Runs Award. I hope Ty Johnson's at least a nominee for that one because he he put a good stiff arm on after breaking two tackles at the line of scrimmage for that 32-yard touchdown run. Um, Sala did say, however, you mentioned it with uh, him, uh, Zonovan versus James Robinson. Bam has NFL runs north and south. James needs to get more north and south. Not everything will be a home run. Get vertical and explode through the line of scrimmage. So I, I, I hear that, and I think that that is exactly what James Robinson was doing on film. He was not hitting the hole with explosiveness. He was getting a little happy in the backfield, you know, taking it outside, but then also cutting it back when he shouldn't cut it back, and he could have still taken it outside. So I'm glad that Donovan Knight not only came in but was decisive and used his vision to actually just hit the holes instead of, you know, trying to be patient with it. I think um, Le'Veon Bell, you know, obviously he's, you know, his calling card is his patience. And it's kind of hard to do that style of running in our running system with the outside zone and everything that they like to do. It's all very timing based, hit the hole. And if it's not there, just cut up field. So right, James Robinson might might not be done for the year, obviously, but Zonovan Knight should certainly get way more opportunities moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, let's move over and, to... Uh, he Sorry. probably will this week with Michael Carter. Yeah, and Michael Carter's injury obviously is only going to help with that. It's a low ankle sprain for Michael Carter. Um, I guess we could just run right into the injury report. He was a no practice Wednesday and Thursday this week. Michael Carter 
with that low ankle sprain. Um, safety Ashton Davis has been out the past two days with his hamstring. Uh, Cedric Abway out with his um, groin injury that he suffered in the game where Max Mitchell came in. Uh, Chaz Surratt is also out with his hamstring the past two days. And I believe DJ Reed had a personal matter, but he's back at practice. And Sheldon Rankins and Kenny Abo are both back at practice. So it looks like Rankins is on pace to play, if not this week, next week against Buffalo. Um, his absence has kind of been, you know, very much missed. I feel like the replacements that they have in Solomon Thomas and Tanzel Smart, we can transition to the defense right there. They have not been anything that Sheldon Rankins has been. Um, what were your overall thoughts of the defense? I know the defensive line didn't have the game of their season this year after three really high sack performances. Listen, I mean, they did what you would expect them to do against Trevor Simeon. You know, he, he's not a guy who poses a real threat. Yep. Um, so, you know, as I said before the game, I'd, I'd be surprised if the Bears scored a touchdown on a, you know, I, well, again, I said 27-10, but I really felt like like they could almost pitch a shutout in this one. And, mm -hmm. you know, obviously Garbage they, time. yeah, obviously they dominated, um, at which you would expect them to do. Um <clears throat> The, the the sack Bryce Huff had was was fantastic. I saw the uh the the get off on that was just unbelievable. I think you know I've said it before. We both said it. He's a guy they need to get re-signed. I would give him a deal now. Um, but you know we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But the defense did a nice job. The Bears don't have a ton of weapons, um, and they were down to their you know second string, damn near down to their third string quarterback when they said uh that it looked like that was going to be the case with Simeon hurting an oblique during the uh, pregame warmups. Obviously he goes. Uh, you know, and um, you give them credit for doing what they should have done. Um, you, you didn't play a great team. And, the, you know, we we said that if Justin Fields didn't play, the Bears might might not score. And uh, Justin Fields didn't play and the Bears didn't score a whole lot. So good job by them. And, you know, a much bigger, much bigger challenge this week coming up against the Vikings. Yeah, and then that touchdown, going back to it, when the Bears took the lead 10-7, to I believe that was the first touchdown that um, DJ Reed has allowed in man coverage in over a year and a half. So it's some bonkers stat that I saw on Twitter from him in man coverage. So it was very rare, and he played the play perfectly on the touchdown. Byron Pringle just oh, that was made a, he just made a better play. You know, it was like, crazy. I, yeah. I it watched was, the broadcast. Yeah, over. Can, exactly, yeah. I watched the broadcast over about three times, and I was like, how how did he not break that up at a that's minimum? Exactly, so, I think that's exactly what I said. After. I, mean, I think I tweeted it. I was like, how does he not get yeah. that ball out of there? It was yeah, just sitting, exactly. So my my one big concern was the tackling again on defense. I, I don't want to lead with a negative, but the tackling was very poor. Um, it was Brent Nichols on the, the shallow under route that led to an explosive play. And then it was C.J. Mosley. He didn't really miss the tackle, but just him slow in coverage two plays or three plays smoked. later. He got smoked. It didn't look great. And I'm not, you know, I sat up here and I put Mosley as my MVP of the team two, three weeks ago when we did our midseason awards. So I'm not, you know, backing off of that. But that play, if you wanted to use that against him, I fully understand. But he made up for it with with an interception later on in the game. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have the sack numbers, but I do have the fourth down numbers. They held the Bears four for 13. So that's 30.7%. So that's near elite level, you know, stopping on third down. Obviously, I understand it's Trevor Simeon, but to a degree, Trevor Simeon is going to efficiently run the playbook similarly, similarly to Mike White and, you know, just drop back, get the ball out, know exactly where he's supposed to do. And obviously, 
you know, Claypool got the better of sauce on a couple of plays, but the Jets defense is, in, you know, far superior to the Bears offense. So it was just a matter of time when we were just going to stop them. Like you said, you tweeted it at me right after they scored. They're like, man, the Jets are going to settle down. I'm not worried. We're going to win this. And they ended up winning big. So sauce gave up a couple to Claypool and kind of locked it down again. Um, Quincy Williams had a big tackle for loss that was set up by Jordan Whitehead that I really wanted to highlight because. I feel like the tandem of Jordan Whitehead and Quincy Williams in the run game has been very, very dominant. And if they can just usually it's Jordan Whitehead just coming down and clearing out an offensive lineman and then Quincy scraping right behind and just getting the tackle. So I like that. Um, We talked about DJ Reed having the near interception. And then another thing I wanted to point out on film that I saw the Jets ran a couple like a handful or maybe five reps of five man front. And that's very different. They don't normally do this. They're, you know, their motto has always been front four. Let's get home with four. Right. But they kind of crept down um, Quan Alexander to the uh, end man of the line of scrimmage standing up. And he rushed sometimes. Sometimes he would just stay back and kind of like contain a little bit. But they used him um, on the first play of the second half. And it um, resulted in a sack for, I believe it was JFM and Nathan Shepard. So just a couple of wrinkles that I saw the Jets doing that, gave me hope from a defensive perspective that they can change when they need to. And I feel like when the bears were running, like they were Salah, um, um, you know, he gave his props to David Montgomery. So they, they had a hard time against the run at first. It felt like, so what were your overall thoughts of the defense? I know it wasn't, you know, the most clean game from them, but they kind of settled down halfway through and basically got back on track to what they were doing. You know, that was the main thing. And that, those were the plays that I mentioned um, in the recap. The, the, you know, the Eccles not holding on on that tackle was big. Mm-hmm. Mosley getting beat was big. Um, really just a lot, a lot of what you just said. I, I think I think those are the exact plays that I covered that were a little bit worrisome early on. But you kind mm-hmm. of – I just thought there's no way this is going to continue. There's no way you're going to keep playing this way. It's, it's just too much talent on this defense for that to happen. Um, Would have – I was I thought I thought we'd see a little bit more in the sack department just because of the fact that it's Trevor Simeon. Um, you have lockdown corners and the Bears are, are thin at receiver. Um, I really thought we'd see another sort of five or six sack performance that didn't happen. Um, but you know we, we did see some pressures. They did pick up a couple of sacks, and um, it's just nice to see a, a Jets defense finally. And it, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, how many years of spending all these premium picks on D linemen? And they could never get it right. And now, you know, uh, Bryce Huff is probably better than every D lineman they drafted. <laughs> and he's, he's undrafted free agent. And he's better than Quentin Copels. And when all is said and done, he'll have been better than Muhammad Wilkerson. Uh, you know, Sheldon Richardson was insanely talented. And he, you know, he hung around for a while. But there were some issues with commitment with him, I think, and, and attitude. But, uh, yeah, all these, all these, and, you know, look, they paid a ton of money for Carl Lawson, obviously. Quentin Williams is a premium pick. But other than that, it's you know Nathan Shepard and 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 you know a free agent and Sheldon Rankins, and not a lot of it, it's not five or six first rounders. It's it's some free agents um, who were earlier picks with other teams, um, but they've just they've done a really nice job, and and I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how the Jets approach the offseason because I think like I don't think I don't see Nathan Shepard coming back, um, and uh, you know Rankins isn't signed long term. Mm-hmm. And so we could see some new bodies in there, but the, the group they have right now is doing a really nice job. Yeah. I think it's always going to be a position that even outside the first round, they're always going to look at and potentially even in the first round and they're getting it done without first round talent. JFM mm-hmm. obviously being the the waiver claim from Los Angeles. So that's so many guys that they've basically gotten for free with JFM, Bryce Huff. And, 
yeah, Bryce Huff, when it's all said and done, he's going to be, you know, one of the best pass rushers for the Jets ever. It's it's crazy how it hasn't translated into sacks, though. Every year we see these, you know, uh, next-gen stat metrics saying he's got the quickest get-off in the NFL. Mm -hmm. He's got, like, two sacks. It's like, you know, when is it going to start to translate? So maybe we're seeing that now. He's got a couple in the last few weeks. Um, But, you know, he played nine snaps last week, you know, so he's – I thought that was very fishy. He he had really like he literally is like the designated pass rusher. Like when there is a spot where we must have a sack or a pressure, we're putting you in there. But it almost feels like if there's any threat of a run, we're not playing you. You know, they must they they must not think he can do anything at all against the run. And uh, and maybe that feels like it's got to be third and seventeen for us to put you in there, or it's got to be third and long late in the game where we have a double-digit lead and we know they're throwing it. Right, exactly, and, and they have to have it situation. And and I'm okay if that's like what they want to do, it but works. I, exactly, it's working. I think nine snaps down from like 15, 16, 13 snaps the past few weeks is a, a bit much. I, I want to see him out there a little more, especially if he is going to be this productive. And that sack alone, I mean, the, the right tackle had zero chance. He could barely even get his hands on him. I believe it was the fastest sack of a Jet this season. I think so, um, yeah. But another – I don't want to keep harping on negatives because they did play a really great game. But another thing that that point um, stuck out to me, Quan Alexander had the um, forced fumble on Cole Komet, and the Jets could not recover it. And I went back, and I'm just thinking of all the forced fumbles and all the fumbles that have been on the ground – I don't remember outside the Garrett Wilson where he fumbled on that end around and he recovered it. I don't remember the Jets jumping on a loose ball and actually getting it. It's like very rare to see. So it's just another like small nitpicky negative with the defense that along with the tackling, it's like I wish they would just fully capitalize on all these opportunities because that is the meat that's left on the bone that Rob Sala keeps talking about. It really is though. I just, and I've always felt this way, you know, it, the ball just bounces. It's such luck. It's exactly how many times do you? I mean, you want to rip your hair out. You see, like, and it could be any team. It seems to always happen to the Jets, though. But it's literally like one defender and the football, and like all he's got to do is pick it up, and he just bobbles it for a split second, and then there's eighteen dudes there smashing into each other, yep. and the ball's all over. And, and now it's just it's it's almost like if you don't get it on that first scoop, like everyone's going to get a hand on it before, before. Exactly. Yep. It was somebody talking about this deal. And I've I've always felt this way. I always feel like, of course you want to force turnovers, but fumbles and fumble recoveries to me of all the turnovers, they're just so random. Like sometimes, like you were saying the other day, you know, even though they didn't pick up that fumble against the Patriots, if they had like, nobody even hit that guy just running and drop the ball. Yeah. Like, How did DJ not get that? Had the yeah. Jets picked that up, right, which they didn't. But if they had, are you going to be like, oh, great job forcing a turnover? No, you happen to be right. standing there when some right. dude dropped it and you picked it up. Like, it wasn't a great play. I mean, it, was it was a, a goof play, play. yeah. It. But, yeah, fumbles are just so random. And it's, it's, it's infuriating because it really does feel like every time the Jets, like when you're like, you know, it, it all happens so quickly. But you have that brief second where you're like, this is ours. It, mm-hmm. I see four Jets jerseys around the ball, no jerseys from the other team, and then all of a sudden, it doink, 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 and then it's it's all over the place, and the refs are giving it to the other team. You're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it, it's truly amazing. I'm forgetting who said the quote, but they mentioned something along the lines of football is a game with an oblong ball that just yes. does not bounce right. And at any yeah. given moment, it can you think it's coming right to it you. It bounce and, the same way twice. And it would just go exactly. So it truly is a, a – 
luck thing completely. It just seems like the Jets are always on the the negative side of that. But we have been very, I don't want to say lucky in other aspects of the season, but football gods in the terms of luck have been with the Jets way more than they haven't been. So I'll take interceptions over fumbles anyway. That's neither here nor there. Um, Sauce Gardner leads the AFC uh, in terms of cornerback Pro Bowl votes. Um, He said he was humbled by it, I think. It's not a surprise that he has this. Um, maybe it was a little bit of a surprise that he's the leader. I knew he would be up there. I maybe not the leader, but what are your thoughts? Obviously, he's been dominant and he's just he's number one in votes. It's it's unbelievable, man. I mean, look, Jets fans are we, we've seen from the uh, from the from the Pepsi Rookie of the Week thing mm-hmm. that Jets fans will not be outdone on Twitter, which is kind of hilarious. I love it. Amazing. Um, you know, and, and as I said before, it's kind of a joke in that it's a fan voted on award. But the fact that Jets are being nominated every week is I'm happy with that. Like that, I'm yep. I'm good. Somebody has recognized it. These rookies are playing well every single week, and that's that's good enough for me. Um, that's that's a great reflection on this draft class, and um, I think that uh, I think Sauce being number one. I I haven't watched the guy play. Um, I didn't. I watched them play in college. I can't remember if we've talked about him or not, Tariq Woolen. I know, yeah. obviously, he's in the NFC. Um, statistically, it looks like they're on par in almost every category, like they're neck and neck mm-hmm. with Woolen having more interceptions. But as far as, like, completion percentage and stuff like that, um, I think it's great that Sauce has won. Obviously, having the big market, great personality, great name, um, all that stuff helps. You know, he's already he's already got a brand. Like, the guy had a brand before he was drafted, which is, which right. is insane. Um, but it's but it's well deserved. It's not like he's you know he's he's a, got a, a catchy name with a an early round pick, and that's why he's getting these votes. He's getting these votes because he's shutting down. You know he's already at the point. I mean, how crazy is it? And I think I made this point earlier in the season. Um, he's already. It only took a few games before like opposing fan bases were celebrating the fact that one of their guys got a catch on him. Mm-hmm. Like you don't do that unless a guy is awesome. Because it's the NFL, everyone's going to give up catches. Everyone's going to get catches, you know. Um, unless you're Elijah Moore playing with Zach Wilson, but everyone's going to get catches. Everyone's going to give up catches, and that's what like you don't. It's not a it's not a big deal. But like when when Diggs had that catch on Sauce against Buffalo, like all these Bills fans, oh look, we got oh, Diggs won Sauce nothing like right away, and it's like first play, and it's like this guy is in like his seventh NFL game against an all pro. Mm-hmm. And like you guys are noticing and celebrating the fact that he got a catch on him. So, I mean, that quickly among other fan bases, whether they would admit it, like fans don't realize when they're doing that, they're showing an insane amount of respect to a guy. Um, yeah. So whether they're admitting it or not, like the guy is is getting attention. He's shutting people down. And this week, man, him and Justin Jefferson, like that's going to be that because yeah. Jefferson's amazing. He's amazing. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who he draws. The sauce follow him. I don't know, but it's, yeah, uh, we can we I can mean, jump at some point. But and it's going to be it, that that's like that that has the potential to be the sort of worth the price of admission matchup. Yeah, I don't have the the numbers from Chicago just yet, um, but on the season, Sauce has allowed 208 yards in coverage. I don't think that then that number has changed significantly since the Bears game. I know the one or two plays that uh, Claypool beat him on might have been like 30 yards. So 31. even if it is 30 yards, it's under 250 yards on the season for this guy. And we're over the halfway point of that's, his rookie season. So it's it's nuts. And he's, he's, and he's taking the best receiver or usually most of the time. Yeah. yeah even if he's taking the second best receiver. 
exactly. 400 yards on the year. I don't care if that's against opposing tight ends. Like that's amazing. Yeah, exactly. And as a rookie. Yeah. And, and obviously so he, corners playing well, it's almost unexplainable. It is right weird. Now. Yeah. Well, it's past happy league. It's like, eventually these guys are going to break, but to be so good so fast, I think that's what I mean. Who's the, the last kid, three years have been like, I really good like rookie Martin, classes. Martin Emerson at a Mississippi state. Yeah, like I, I heard Cleveland. him the other day. Yep. You know, I liked him pre-draft. I hadn't heard his name all year. And then I heard someone just talk about his numbers the other day. And I was like, Jesus, he's doing it too. Tariq Woolen loved him at UTSA. Mm-hmm. Um, Emerson, I really liked, uh, but the kid with the Dolphins, I don't even remember his name. I'm not going to pretend I knew who that guy was. Um, I think he was undrafted. Don't they have an undrafted guy who's like playing? Oh, lights out? yeah, yeah, they do. I don't yeah. even know his name, but yeah, yes, they do. Yeah. yeah, it is weird. Um, but yeah, so mm-hmm. Sauce is deserving of Pro Bowl. He's obviously probably a lock at this point to make it based off the voting. I, I think there's others on defense willing or worthy of it too, Mosley. Uh, Quinton Williams, I think any of the DBs really, maybe you could argue LaMarcus Joyner, no, but any DB really is deserving of it that starts for the Jets. And then Michael Carter. Cool exactly. Michael Carter. Oh, my goodness. He's so good. Somebody tweeted out Michael Carter 30, a greater sign Michael Carter 32. And I was like, you know, I don't want to like take a shot at Michael Carter, the running back. But no. this tweet is absolutely true from a perspective of I think Michael Carter is so much better for the team at what he does is just so like it goes so under the radar because of what sauce and DJ. Dude, I do. forget he's on the roster. You just don't hear his name. Exactly. He's a guy, like, when he's doing his job that well. You'll go like almost an entire game without hearing his name once because they just don't throw at him. Yep, they they put out the tweet sixteenth uh, in PFF coverage grades. So I was gonna say I think you I think he was top twenty, and that's the and lowest that's the of the Jets. We corners, love the good PFF so. grades, but the bad ones are bullshit. Yeah, exactly. And you got to take I mean, it with a grain of salt. But but when you go in and watch it, he's really locking down hard opponents. And Justin Jefferson does play in the slot a lot, so that's gonna be a tough one for him. And the last name I want to throw out there before we fully get into the Vikings is Greg Zerloin. Mm-hmm. He deserves a Pro Bowl vote. I know he missed the kick in the rain, and I know that that hurt you a little bit more than than it should have. But uh, Greg Zerloin absolutely deserves Pro Bowl, even All Pro for what he did. The fifty-seven yarder was so impressive; it was that, good from that was good sixty-five. From I don't care. It's seventy exactly. It's so good. It was so high through the uprights. In that so. weather, that's impossible. It's silly, and now we're in a dome, so maybe they'll they'll give it to him from seventy yards just at the end of the half, just to see if he can do go. it. Nice. So we're going to fully transition now into the Vikings preview. Um, you led it right there um, with Justin Jefferson. He is the number one player to watch. Um, he was the NFC's Offensive Player of the Month for November. And this is the second November in a row that Justin Jefferson has won the award. Um, good thing for the Jets is they play him on December 4th and not no, uh, and not in November anymore. So he he's the player of the month in November and he can fall off a little bit when he sees sauce and read this week. Um, no, that's obviously not realistic and he's going to get his opportunities. And I think as long as you limit his opportunities, you have a very good shot in this one. The Vikings are nine and two, but all of uh, eight of their nine wins, excuse me, are of one score. Um, they're both, their losses do come by big margins, 17 plus points. They lost 24 to seven to Philly in week two. And then they lost two weeks ago, 40 to three to Dallas. So they are susceptible to being blown out. And it seems like when they win, they are only winning by a very small margin. They beat all three teams in the AFC East. I believe it was like three, five and seven points for all three teams. So, but they have Mm -hmm. beaten all three. They're looking for the sweep. Um, one, one thing before I throw uh, this question at you, Minnesota's defense, third most receptions of 20 plus yards allowed with 43. That's 
uh, third most behind Pittsburgh and Atlanta with 45. So realistically, they're second because Atlanta and uh, Pittsburgh are tied. So just hearing that stat alone, does that give you way more confidence that Mike White can do this in a dome after coming out of the rain where he threw for 315? I wish I remember. I should have saved the tweet. I need to start saving tweets because I know I'm going to discuss during the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somebody Look tweeted more. out um, the amount of man coverage Minnesota plays. Like they just they don't they yes. don't play man coverage. They don't believe they're good enough to to hang with opposing receiver. It's a lot of zone, a lot of deep coverage or cover two, whatever you know, working in space and and giving guys room to run. And when you have as many explosive receivers as the Jets do, that gives you a chance to make some plays. So I really, um, you know, this is a game where I expect a lot of points to be scored. And hopefully, um, hopefully the Jets defense holds up their end of the bargain and, and keeps it, you know, keeps the Minnesota at least in check. They're going to get their points. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to hold Minnesota to 13. Um, but if you can kind of if you can keep them, you know, in check and Mike White, again, just decisive with the ball, um, tr- limit the turnovers. I, You know, I, again, I, I don't see him having a lot of zero turnover games with the way he plays the game. But um, that's fine as long as he, you know, finds the end zone a few times. Yeah, and um, to pull up that stat, I'm glad you reminded me because I I bookmarked the tweet that you're referencing. Ben Fennel, who works for CBS and the NFL Network, he does a ton of film breakdown. He actually posted a couple clips of Michael Clemens earlier this week at Ben Fennel underscore NFL on Twitter if you want to check those out. He said Vikings secondary slash coverage tendencies are interesting. Zone coverage, free access, and open wide receivers all over the defense, allowing a ton of yards and explosive pass plays. They do not want to play man coverage. And he listed some ranks here. Um, Cover one, they're 31st in the league. Cover zero, 29th. Cover two, uh, 27th. And press coverage, they're 30th. So they truly are letting the, the wide receivers get off the line of scrimmage freely. And if that's the case this week, we saw what Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore can do. And we've seen it all year on film. It's just a matter of them not getting the ball. But now that they were getting the ball, we saw exactly the fruits of their labor because Michael Flores is scheming these guys open. So if that's the case, I do, I do think that Mike White can carve up this defense if they're going to play soft zone and let these guys eat. Yards after catch is the name of the game for Elijah Moore. Garrett Wilson, he had the yards after catch on the second touchdown, so we know he's explosive with the ball after after the play. So get everybody involved in the pass game. The linebackers are going to sink eight to 10 yards deep and just let the underneath stuff. So any running back underneath is going to work. Um, I don't, I don't really have too much else about the Vikings other than like I mentioned uh, it's a dome game, which is the first and only for the jets, which I think is big because we've played a lot of outdoor weather games so far this year. And you can use that as an excuse or not. That's what happens when you play in the Northeast and the AFC East against yeah. Buffalo, New England, New York, mm-hmm. we, we know what it is. So the elements don't really affect us, but I think it's important to put out that there is a dome game on the schedule mm-hmm. um, after the mm-hmm. rain game and seeing what the offense did 466 total yards. I'm not really worried that the elements would be a factor anyway, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the jets win this one pretty handedly. Um, I'll give a prediction. I'm going to say 28 to 10 again. I just, I feel like there's, it, it's going to be, it could be a little bit high scoring because the Vikings offense is susceptible to scoring a ton of points. Justin Jefferson, Thielen, Cook, Hawkinson, they have the guys. But if you can if you can get after Kirk Cousins, I know it's not a primetime game, but Kirk Cousins is susceptible to throwing turnover-worthy plays. He has 17 on the season, according to PFF. 
and that's of all different pressure types. It doesn't matter if he's clean or not. So he's willing to throw the ball up there and, you know, hope Justin Jefferson's, you know, on the other side of it. And sometimes that's not going to be the case. So I'm going to say 28 to 10. I know it's a little bold, but I, I feel a, a lot more confident after watching Mike White in a full game. And I th- don't think that he's going to regress like he did last year in 2020. I'll tell you what, man, if they hold the Vikings to 10 points, like I've already put a few bucks on them winning the Super Bowl. They hold the Vikings to 10. Oh, man. And Mike White carves them up. Um, Listen, uh, (laughs) this defense is good, but Minnesota, I'm I'm thinking I'm right on board with you with with the Jets points. I was going to say 28-24 Jets. Okay. Um, 28-10 is would be a a dream. Um, And we'll see. We're. I will say though, where the Jets do have a chance, um, I, to be honest, I haven't watched any Minnesota, but I looked up some of their numbers, um, or not. I haven't watched any of them this week. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it looks like they really struggle up the middle. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think their their guards have given up like over sixty pressures and hits and uh, stuff like that. So I think, as a matter of fact, that hang on, I, I pulled it up a second ago. And again, see, these are the things where I think PFF is useful. Like I don't love their grades. The premium but, stats but, are but where it's like at. This. Uh, so, yeah, so Ed Ingram and Ezra Cleveland, uh, this is PFF, mm-hmm. have given up a combined 78 pressures. Wow. Um, and if you throw in Garrett Bradbury, he's given up 22. So, so that's 100. 100. That, yep. That's a clean 100 on the interior. Just the interior, so, yeah. And they could yeah. be down Christian Derisaw. So I saw that. I'm, it's now, not confirmed. Out, they, they, then you have to shut them down. You, exactly. You, 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 you got to be back up in the 5-6 sack game again. Absolutely. Exactly. So th- that's where the Jets do have the ability. Like if, if, if Quinn and Williams is on and Sheldon Rankins plays as we expect them to, um, I think they have a, a chance to, <clears throat> excuse me, to absolutely shut these guys down. Um, but like, I, I like the Jets to win either way. I like Minnesota to put up points, but if the Jets do get, you know, sort of the number you're talking about holding the 10, I think it's going to be the Jets just abusing them up the middle. Yeah, I think 28 to 24 is definitely a more realistic uh, outcome based on the way the Vikings are playing. But I don't know. I'm just going to go out on that limb and say that they do, because if this is the game, I feel like obviously, you know, this is a tough road stretch, two games in a row, uh, Minnesota and Buffalo. So it's really going to be I've said this at least 13 times on this show and we're only in episode 13, but this is going to be the toughest stretch for the Jets like. Minnesota, Buffalo on the road. Detroit, and Detroit's no joke right now. Exactly. And you're going to have your your backup in Mike White. Obviously, your backup running back situation. Yeah, I mean, your backup is, is better than your starter. Like, a lot better, That's so. a loose-term backup, exactly. Yeah. But exactly. That's exactly it's just It's a tough stretch no matter how you slice it. And I think making a, another statement win would be just absolutely huge. So 28 to 10, I'm going out on the limb. Um, we can uh, dive into some draft prospects to end out. I know we only have five minutes, so I was just going to throw out um, some playoff scenarios that help the Jets as well as one player. Um, Obviously tonight, the Buffalo Bills play the New England Patriots. We need the Bills to beat the Patriots. I know a lot of uh, fans are trying to root the opposite so that the Jets can win the AFC East. There's still a chance that the Jets can win the AFC East, but we don't have the tiebreaker with New England. So until you know, it's decided with Buffalo and whether we split or we take both, we need New England to have less wins than the Jets. Buffalo is not our main concern right now. It's New England. So Buffalo, we need to beat New England tonight, um, That will, which will start about in an hour. We need uh, San Francisco, obviously, to beat Miami, but that's no surprise there. 
Uh, we need Kansas City to beat Cincinnati because we do not have the tiebreaker against Cincinnati. Uh, they obviously beat us 27 to 12 in week three. So that's a tiebreaker we do not own. They do have a hard strength of schedule down the stretch. So Cincinnati is in a bit of a gauntlet right now and they can't afford any losses. So we need Kansas City to start, you know, help us out there. Um, some pipe dream ones, I believe Denver, if they beat Baltimore, I just saw that they're playing Baltimore. That's not going to happen. And Denver to beat uh, Los Angeles Chargers, which I don't even know. I, I feel like the Jets, obviously the Jets are ahead of the Chargers on the the standing. So it doesn't really, you know, help us. Obviously it will help us, but the Raiders and the Chargers, not really. It's a moot point. It doesn't matter really because the Jets no. are ahead of them, control their own destiny. Any of those games, you know, ring a bell to you and that you want to touch on? Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, I think Cincinnati, like they 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 pulled one out last week. I thought they were going to have a tough time. Yeah, um, against Tennessee, you know, Derrick Henry at full strength. I thought that uh, I thought I thought Tennessee would win in a close one. They obviously mm-hmm. pulled that out. Um, Kansas City right now, you know, Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes. I don't see. I think if you need help from Kansas City, you're in good shape because yes. they're not going to lose a lot of football games. So that's going to be interesting. Um, tonight's game, yeah, we want Buffalo. Um, it's going to be uh, and listen it. Obviously, you know, normally I don't care if Buffalo gets gets beat. Um, but if I need Buffalo to win, <laughs> excuse me, if the Jets need Buffalo to win and they're playing New England, as, as someone commented here in the in the comment section, the Bills are going to beat the brakes off New England. I hope they do. I hope they beat them by 70, like demoralize them, crush them. I don't, you know, I have no interest in seeing the Patriots do well. Yeah. Um, if, if it was the other way around, you know, I'd, I'd want, well, no, I wouldn't want the Pats to pound anyone but you know yeah i mean it's go for it and uh and i'll be i'll be rooting for the bills tonight and uh and i, I think they'll win they're a much better team than new england we saw what they did in the playoffs last year um so yeah I, I like buffalo tonight and uh luckily that's that's who we need so yeah it's the rare moment when you're conflicted on who to root for but it's just I'm glad that it is this way and I'm not having to root for New England because it just hurts me so much to root for New England in any facet, even when it helps the Jets. Like I'd rather just, I'd rather the Jets just have taken care of their own business. So I don't have to root for New England at any point in the season. Um, But before we get out of here, um, do you have any, any draft prospects that you wanted to bring up this week? I know the college football season wrapped up. Um, We have a couple bowl games, a lot of (laughs) declarations for the draft already senior bowl invites coming in out the wazoo, trying to keep up with them is been a, been very hectic throughout the week so any guys you want to mention here at the end uh just one and i hope i didn't mention him earlier in the year because i may have now that i think about it but <laughs> I, only because last night i watched um i watched two or three games last night i had to re-watch liberty arkansas because i screwed up all the clips i pulled um but i i watched um boston college nc state and zay flowers man uh mm-hmm. he's not a big guy he's like five eight five nine but I remember watching him last year, loved him. And in that game, he had like seven catches for 130 and a couple of touchdowns. And it just reminded me like, God, I, you know, I really, really like this guy's game. Um, looking forward to, <coughs> excuse me, might, you know, got a couple computers running. I'll probably have New England Buffalo on one game and, and have some college games on another laptop. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the point I'm at, Dylan. I, I don't watch a lot of live college football because right. – I need to be able to rewind, you know, find plays that stand out and record them and label them and file them. So I, I probably I'm I have live games on in the background while I'm focusing more on the the games from earlier in the week or maybe even early, you know, maybe the day before. If, if people get them, I need I need you, YouTube people to get every game put on YouTube. I'm tired of not being able to find. I can't get a damn Oregon game. 
I can't. USC is hard to find. I would say Washington is always hard to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, people on the West Coast need to wake up and get get your act together and post me some full games. Yeah, Matthew loves ball. Get on. Matt this. loves ball. I love that guy. We, I got to get I, that dude's address and send him a thank you card. <laughs> Seriously, right? Yeah, yeah. Get, get, get some more. Get some more. We Pac-12 love you in and there. glad you love ball because. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you threw me off there. Um, my guy that I uh, you did mention Zay Flowers, by the way. Uh, week five, I, I have it in my notes. Uh, you you brushed over him. It wasn't like a deep anything like that. So um, just another name to throw out there. But uh, he did take a Shrine Bowl invite. And he did officially declare for the uh, the NFL draft, I believe, as of the yeah. last forty eight hours. So yeah, I, I think in the last twenty four, actually. That's yeah, uh, maybe even I just watched him, and then I saw oh, I forget his name. I'm an idiot. The 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 Jets beat writer for the Daily News. Um, he tweeted out that Zay Flowers had, had declared, and I said, "Oh wow, I, I just watched him last night, um, and watched him a lot last year because I watched a lot of Boston College O line last year, and as a result, a lot of Zay Flowers." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So. Zay Flowers definitely one that I like. I'm I've definitely had my eye on him for a while. I'm excited to see what he does at the All Star Game. Um, the guy that I brought, I only have one prospect to bring to the table. This is a guy I studied over the summer. Um, kind of fell off in you know following up on him, and I and I kind of did with uh, just his stats. I want to go back and see his season as a whole now, but he's still playing technically. And that's Georgia defensive back Chris, uh, Christopher Smith. Uh, I believe he's a safety, but they kind of play him in a like a hybrid nickel role, sort of. So it's it's kind of like a cornerback slash um, safety for him. 5'10", excuse me, 5'11", 190. He's a fifth-year player with 40 career games. He's played all 12 games for the Bulldogs this year. He has 47 total tackles, four tackles for loss, one sack, two interceptions, five passes to fl- uh, fence, and a forced fumble. So he kind of does a little bit of everything. Um my notes on him was he he just had the instincts of a veteran player, like I mentioned, a five-year player. He just kind of led the back end of the defense, and I know they had some younger pieces. Um, Kiwi Ringo is another um, star in that back, uh, back secondary for them, but Christopher yeah. Smith just kind of kept everything together, and he was always the one making the play. Um, I don't really have a comp for him at this point, I'm, and I'm not really big on comps, but just his presence and his, I don't know, his communication, everything, like he's pointing, you know, calling out plays. And this was all off last year's film when I watched him in the summertime. So I was really excited to see that he had, you know, filled up the stats, and I'm excited to dive back into him. But Christopher Smith is somebody that's actually being talked about as a top 50 to top 75 player almost a lock at this point. So he's probably higher than I even thought he was going to be when I watched him in the summertime. So excited for him. Obviously he's still playing the college football playoffs, Um, Georgia, I believe they're number one. So they're going to face, it looks like USC at this point. I know things can change, but Georgia USC is going to be a pretty big matchup. They have explosive offense on uh, USC versus Georgia stout defense. That's going to be a big matchup. And And that's my guy. Um, yeah, let any... me let me let me let since since I screwed up and gave us flowers a second time. Sure. Uh, let me go with another guy who I actually tweeted about earlier in the week. Another guy I loved last year. Mm-hmm. Um, watched him a little bit this week, <clears throat> and uh, I'm gonna I haven't I, I'm gonna try the video share see if this works. Um, Jack Campbell, linebacker from Iowa. Okay. Um, he's a guy who covers a ton of ground. I had him written down. That's funny. Yeah, and he's uh, so what do I do? Do I hit picture in picture? I don't know. Let how me to do see. This. I can add it here. You have it, yeah. There you go. There we go. Guy, he, he I mean, seeks out the ball carrier, gets a million tackles. Yep, number um, thirty-one I, there. Yeah, number thirty-one 
had a really impressive uh, INT last week, or in, in a, I forget who it was against. Oh, against Ohio State. Yep. Uh, sort of leaping up over the middle, out you know, outstretched hand, got got a hand on the ball and pulled it in for the pick. Um, his actually his uh, his PFF grade looked really good um, in terms of his coverage, and I I did think his coverage looked better this year. So I think that he's a guy. Here he is again, middle of defense, right in the middle against. Uh, this is Kentucky last year. Oh yeah. Finds way, gets through the trash, big time hitter, short tackler, um, and a guy that. Uh, one thing I have a hard time with Dylan, admittedly, is like mocking where guys are going to go because I yep. get like I get this bias where I watch a guy so much I probably overvalue them a little, um, and I might say a guy is a you know a, a top hundred pick and he ends up going you know like one seventy eighth or something mm-hmm. and it's just. I guess I just I watched so much of that guy. I liked him. Like I, I watched Jack Campbell, and I'm like, I can see him being a second rounder. Um, and I pulled up one or two lists, and he was sort of ranked in like the 90s. And I'm like, all right, maybe I'm crazy. Um, but listen, you know, as they say, every board's different, and what what one team has as a second round guy might be a fifth rounder for another team. So, but yeah, Jack Campbell is a, a really good player, and I'm glad I realized the, that I can just pull the videos. Yeah, up that was awesome. That that might make it a little bit easier in the future. Exactly. The efficiency of that was very smooth. Nobody can see it on the back end, but that was very smooth how that worked there. And I believe that was Chris Rodriguez, the running back for Kentucky. And he's another draft eligible name. So he's having a really nice year. Yeah, exactly. So Jack Campbell, another guy last year, I was watching so much Wandell Robinson. Yeah. You know, this is what happens. You're watching it for one guy, but then next year you go back and you're like, Oh, there's another guy too. Yep. Yeah, Will like I said, Will Levis. I was I was asleep at the wheel on him last year. I was yeah. I was probably five games into watching Wandale Robinson before I realized like these are really good throws that he's hauling in. Like that it's not all him. And I'm like, I gotta start looking at this quarterback. So yeah, it's a, it's a fun process. Yeah, it's definitely fun. And and you mentioned it before. Not every team is going to watch every single player. So somebody could be 50, 60, 70 on your board, but they could be 140 on another board. And that's a, on a team to team basis. Um, we, I believe Rex Hogan has come out in interviews and said that the Jets really have like a board of 150 to 200 guys that are like their scheme. That's it. Like if they're not that scheme or whatever, they're not even looking at the guy. So 150 is a very small number. And the Patriots go even smaller than that with like 120, 115 sometimes. So draft board seems unfair because I'm having to go off a PFN's list and I'm looking at 1500 players trying to get an idea about each guy. The the draft pool gets larger. I promise not to tell anyone. Just show me your list and I'll know who to watch. Right. Exactly. Thousands of hours. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest part is identifying scheme because just because they don't play that scheme in college doesn't mean that they can't fit that scheme in the NFL. Yeah, it doesn't mean the Jets aren't looking at them going, we can make it. We can make exactly. it. Exactly. So you almost have to watch 1400 Everyone. players and figure out, okay, project the scheme or look at the scheme they're in. And will that help them in the NFL at the Jets yep. specifically? So it's a fun process and we're just, you know, crack, crash it, crash, uh, scratching the surface i can mm-hmm. i can talk scratching the surface on the draft here and uh i i we flirted with it before but i think um we will make it official eventually that we're just gonna do a, a second show with strictly draft, draft stuff only. and as, especially if the jets keep going with this playoff run because i go to senior bowl first week of february and at this point the jets could be playing in the game the weekend before i fly out to to mobile so it's it's I'm not, you know, that's putting the cart before the horse and getting really excited. But if the Jets yeah. make the playoffs, that's certainly a possibility. And it's not, it's getting harder, obviously, to maintain with the Jets and keep with the draft. But it's such a fun process that, you know, even it watching is. two yeah. hours a, a week of draft prospects is just, it's it's a fun break from the Jets. And 
like I said, scratching the surface. We're just getting into it. We've already, I think we're now up to 90 names on the list. So we're going to get to 100 before Christmas for sure. Easily, easily. Any, any final thoughts on the game, any prospects or anything like that before we get out of here? No, no, that can wrap it up for us, man. We uh, we got we got a lot of prospects to watch, but there's uh, hopefully some playoff football in the Jets' future. Hell yeah. I think that takes precedent over everything. But you know us, we're going to be crazy and cover it all no matter what the circumstances are um Absolutely. nine and two vikings seven and four jets uh jets are only three-point underdogs which says a lot compared to the fact that they're on the road with a backup quarterback that's a pick em. that's what i'm saying neutral field i feel like that's a, a a very tough choice and probably a half point spread at vegas so it's about as tight as it gets and uh we'll leave it at that jets have opportunities to win get to eight and four and really control their destiny down the stretch so for Glenn Naughton, you can follow him on Twitter at AceFan23. Also follow his draft Twitter at JetsPicks at J-E-T-S-P-I-C-K-S. You can follow me on Twitter at DTerriman. Follow us at JetNation on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, everything. Um, like, comment, subscribe, leave any reviews that you have, anything you want us to talk about. We're, we're very, uh, you know, we're very easy with the criticisms. We'll take it. We'll talk about any topics you guys want. Uh, we appreciate all the feedback in the the chat everybody's hyped up about this bills patriots game so go buffalo but most importantly let's go jets